You are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. So after Jesus was raised from the dead, he appears to his disciples. Here's what he says to them, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. So therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And then on another occasion, he says to his disciples this, as the Father has sent me, now I'm sending you. And then on another occasion, before he ascends to be with the Father, he says this, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you're going to receive power and you're going to be my witnesses. And so I think, I think you're getting the picture, okay? Go make disciples. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you're going to be the witnesses. And so here's the plan. Jesus has always intended to use us. It's always been the plan. He wants to use you to continue His work of the kingdom. My kingdom is not of this world, Jesus says. (laughs) The kingdom of God is a place where there is forgiveness and there is love and there is mercy and there are transformed lives. And so the plan was that you and I would continue the kingdom work. And here's the other side of the conversation. You ready for this? There isn't a plan B. That's the only plan we get. Go make disciples as the Father has sent me. I'm sending you. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you're going to be the witnesses. That's the plan that Jesus wants to use. So when we get to the book of Acts in the New Testament, we find the early church trying to live out that calling. And so let me take you to Acts chapter 8, okay, and show you what that looks like. So I might suggest this to you this morning. If there's a Bible near you or if you brought your Bible, you might open it. You might open it. You might leave it open in your lap because we're going to read the Scripture a little differently than we typically do, okay? So if you have access to the Scripture on your phone or the pew rack in front of you, or if you brought a Bible, you might want to get that in front of you and kind of have it available for a few minutes this morning, okay? We're starting in the middle of the story, obviously, so we will look over our shoulder in a few minutes, and then we will look into the future, into the rest of the book, okay? So here's what happens. Verse 1 says, And Saul approved of their killing him. Who got killed? Stephen. Why did he get killed? Because he was one of the leaders of the church. And he was proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. Tension is rising and finally it gets out of hand and they kill him. The guy who is approving of it is the guy whose name is Saul. Now let me keep reading, okay? On that day, and on that day literally means that very day, persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So if everybody runs for their life and they run up into Judea and as far as Samaria, why don't the apostles take off as well? And there's a lot of theories, but one theory would be that they decided we got to stay with the ship even in the midst of the storm. And so they hung back in Jerusalem. Godly men buried Stephen and they mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Literally, the language is 
brutal cruelty he was imposing against the church. Here's what it looked like in everyday life. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Now this next verse I want you to read with me in unison, okay? Just the next verse, the next sentence only. People who have been scattered preached the word wherever they went. I think we could probably make a little better effort if you don't mind. So here we go. Just this sentence. We'll read it in unison. People who were scattered preached the word wherever they went. Now that is significant. We'll talk about its significance more in a moment. So an example of people preaching the word wherever they were scattered is Philip. Okay? So here's what it says about Philip. Philip went down to a city in Samaria, and he proclaimed the Messiah there. And while the crowds, rather, heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he had said. For with shrieks and pure spirits came out of many, And many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. So the city was filled with great joy. So you might be a little surprised that Philip goes to Samaria because weren't the Samaritans the people that the Jewish people hated? Okay, it looks like this. You've got Samaria. Below it you have Judea. Above it you have Galilee. And so Samaria is this district in between Judea where Jerusalem is and Galilee. So when Jews went to Galilee, they would travel around Samaria because the Samaritans were a mixed race of people. In the 8th century, the Assyrians attacked Samaria and conquered them. Here's what was typical. We're going to take a bunch of the people who live in Samaria away. It was called exile. We're going to put a bunch of our people there. We're trying to ensure that it will always be our people in our country. And so what happened with the people who were left, they began to intermarry. The people in Judea said, we don't even know who you are. You're a mixed race and your religion has become mixed. And they hated them. But Philip goes there to preach the gospel. So let me, let me chat with you a little bit. Because what we want to do is say, with what we've read this morning, what do we learn? And then how do we apply it to our lives right here in Bethany in 2014? So I live with something called vertigo. I don't know. Does anybody else have vertigo that you struggle with from time to time? Raise your hand really high if you do. I just want to look for you. There's one more, two more, a few more have vertigo. Okay. My heart's with you right there. I know what you're dealing with. It's an inner ear thing. And what it does is it really messes with your balance. So vertigo, I'm not asking for pity. I, my vertigo is not bad. Some people are really dealing with it tough. For me, two or three times a year it comes on. When it comes on... I'm pretty dizzy. Everything is spinning. But I have these exercises that I can do. And within maybe 30 minutes, I'm pretty functional. I have some concept of what vertical is. So I can actually walk fairly straight. But when it hits, it's bad. Like the first time I got vertigo, didn't know what in the world was going on. And I remember I was really nauseous and everything was spinning. And I said to Annette, would you just do this for me? Would you turn that ceiling fan off? She said, it is not on. Okay? So that's what I mean when everything is spinning. So, and like, if, if I've got it, I can't really, you know, run much until I kind of get beyond it for several days uh, because I kind of just kind of step everywhere. Uh, I can't bend over because if I bend over, I will topple over. I can't kind of get that figured out. But it goes away after a few weeks and I'm, I'm fine again. So the other night, I'm asleep in my bed. I don't know that vertigo has come on, okay? And so I'm laying there and I have this urge to get up and go to the restroom. 
Uh, when you're my age, you have that urge many times sometimes during the night. You know? Life changes. What can I say? And so I get up and I'm going to go to the restroom. And I don't know that I'm spinning. All right? Man, I had no hope of getting to that restroom. What, what I do is I crash, thinking I'm going into the door. I crash into my dresser, fall to the ground. It sounds like I'm in a fight. Annette wakes up and says, Rick, what is going on? I guess she thinks there's like an intruder and we're wrestling each other to the ground or something, you know. In the process, I break a toe, okay. I kick something really hard. Number two toe, my right foot is broken bad. It's black, blue in two days. I mean, it's not good at all. So it's something I kind of deal with once in a while. But I thought that was kind of funny. I've been really thinking hard about how I say this. And I think when you hear me preach, you know that I, I'm never up here just going, you know. I mean, it's, it's always us, you know. So I want to be careful, but I want to be honest. I want to be faithful, okay. I'm not talking about just you, I'm talking about me. But it's the church of Jesus Christ today. I think we walk around sometimes like people of vertigo. So when I stand up on Sunday morning, I say, Jesus said, go make disciples. And Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you're going to receive power. You're going to be the witnesses. I think we tend to say, yeah, I got that. That's where I'm going. And we're walking like we got vertigo because that's not where we go. We do not live our lives with an urgency to share the gospel with people. And we say that's the path we're on, but honestly, it's not the path we're on. We feel urgency about a lot of other things in our lives. But we don't feel urgency when it comes to sharing the gospel. And we say, yeah, I know. But obviously we really don't know. So when I read this passage this morning, here's what I see in these early believers. I see a group of people who live their lives every day with this strong sense of urgency to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what I see. So, so what do you mean by that? Well, let me just... I said we would look over our shoulders, so let's do. So when you go back to the second chapter of Acts, a very powerful thing happens. Jesus has been saying all along, I'm going away, but it's okay. The disciples are like, we don't think it's okay that you're going away. You're the glue that holds this thing together. They're not coming to see us, Jesus. They're coming to see you. Jesus says, no, no. It's okay that I'm going because when I go, the Holy Spirit will come. The gift the Father has promised. He is going to lead you and He is going to guide you. He's going to be your helper and all of those things. And He's also going to empower you. And you're going to be witnesses when He comes upon you. And so in chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes. It happens. Just like Jesus said. Just like the Father promised. And then what happens is this. Peter, a guy who before denies even knowing Jesus, I don't know the guy, I promise you, never seen him in my life, I have no idea who he is. 
Now he gets up and what does he do? With boldness and with power, he preaches. And when he preaches, what happens? 3,000 people are added to the number of believers. And then when you get to the end of chapter 2, it says this. Daily, daily, the Lord was adding to their number those who were being saved. I mean, think about this. Have you ever been in a church where somebody was getting saved every day? I pastored a church for a season of my life. And we went through a season where every week people got saved. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not adding to that. I'm telling you the truth. Every week people are getting saved. It was one of the most amazing seasons of my entire life. And I just pray God do it again, you know. Don't you want to see God do it again? But what would it be like if you were part of a church where people are getting saved every week? Don't, don't you long for that? Don't you, don't, you, don't you have moments in your life when you say, God, we don't want to just do church. We want to see people's lives changed, you know? They were seeing people saved every day. When you get to chapter 4, when you get to chapter 4, tension is rising between the Jewish leaders and the people who are Christian. And the Jewish leaders finally come and say, you guys have got to knock it off. I'm serious. Stop talking about Jesus. And you know what they said? We can't help talking about what we have seen and heard. You can't stop us. I'm sorry. We have tried to stop. We can't. We won't. We're going to talk about it. And then the Bible says in chapter 4 of the book of Acts that they continued to testify about the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When you get to chapter 5, it's no longer 3,000, it's 5,000. And they're only counting men, by the way. That's not including women and children. And it says from temple courts and house to house, they never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news. I mean, they're talking about Jesus with urgency. And then you get to chapter 6. And when you get to chapter 6, it's like it's a snowball that nobody can stop. Because here's what it says when you get to chapter 6. It says, so the word of God spread and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. So we started with 3,000. Now we got 5,000. And now they're saying, and now it is just, who can count them? It's just, it's rapid growth, you know. Pretty amazing, huh? So, we look at this, and we read the scripture, and we find ourselves in chapter 8. Things have gotten completely out of hand. People are angry. People are mad. It says they are yelling in the previous paragraph. They are screaming. And they start picking up stones. And in this fit of rage... They find themselves standing over a man who's named Stephen, a leader in the church. And if you can get this in your head, I don't feel comfortable at all at this point just kind of standing here in my clean shirt and saying, and oh yeah, they stoned a guy named Stephen. I, I, think you have to, I think you have to think about this. To think about a man as strong as me. Not all that strong, but as strong as me. <laughs> Standing over another man who is in a fetal position trying to protect his skull. And I stand over him and I throw a rock into his skull with the intent of killing him. When, when, when tell us, Tony, don't think about tossing pebbles. Don't, don't misunderstand this. I mean, they are throwing this thing with an intent to kill. Do you understand this? And they kill him. 
people start running for their lives. They get out of Jerusalem. They run into Judea, which is that whole region. Then they run into the next region just north, Samaria. And so the leaders were saying, we're going to put a stop to this. We'll kill one of you. That'll get your attention. But what they meant for harm, God in His redemptive nature said, I can do something with that. (laughs) And so wherever they went, they preached there. They were doing the same thing they were doing back in Jerusalem. They just did it in Samaria and they did it in Judea. And now instead of having a church in Jerusalem, you got churches all over Judea. And now you got churches all over Samaria. And the thing just spreads like wildfire. You remember back a few months ago, our friend Thaddeus goes to this community just north of us in Two Lakes. And he starts having church on Sunday morning. There was a spark and then this fire ignited. You know what that was a result of? What happened back in Jerusalem when the church was scattered. It's still happening. Churches are still starting all over the place, all over the world. And then they got this vision for it. It took us a while to get out of Jerusalem, but once we saw it, then they started sending people everywhere. Like Paul and Barnabas, and Paul starts planting churches all over the place. All right, I'll stop. I will calm down. Because you're sitting there saying, I've been in the church, I go to church. Some of you have been in the church all of your lives. And you're saying, that's not what I saw. Nothing like that. No. Wasn't like that at all. That was 2,000 years ago. Could I, could I speak to you, I think, knowledgeably about something that happened only a hundred years ago? Okay? So there was a guy whose name was Phineas Brzee. He was 58 years old. He lived out in California. And instead of thinking about retiring, he got fired up. And he started a denomination called the Church of the Nazarene. And there were some things he was really passionate about. He was passionate about the cause of the kingdom. He was passionate about the poor and the cities. And he was passionate about social issues like education and poverty and addiction. In those days it was more about alcohol. And he was passionate about the doctrine of entire sanctification. Believing that God is not just about loving us. But he's about transforming our lives into what we were originally meant to become. And you know what they started doing? They started going into communities and they would tell people about Jesus. And you know what happened? People began to believe. And they would say, well, wow, we got a group here. I guess this is kind of a congregation, isn't it? And they would go into other communities and they kept doing it until, I'm not talking about tens or hundreds. I'm talking about thousands of churches sprung up all over the United States of America, just everywhere. In every state there were just churches springing up everywhere. This is who we are. To the point that there's now 29,000 
29,000 Nazarene congregations all around the world. He says, so why did we stop doing that? Why, why did we slow down to a crawl? So I think when we think about church today, tell me about your church. Well, we have service on Sunday, music, and we all, Sunday school class, small groups. We believe in, you know, worshiping God and getting with people, and we do that in context of community, and then we do outreach stuff. We send people to Swaziland and, you know, we have this after school thing that's awesome. And So you guys plant churches? No, we don't do that. That's, that's more of the anomaly than it is, you know, what is normal. That's more uncommon than common. It wasn't with the early church. It wasn't with the Nazarenes. So Rick, what, what happened? When you cease to be a movement, a mighty move by the hand of God, when you cease to be a movement and become an institution, you become extremely protective. And you begin to assume that maybe we should be more careful with what resources we have because there might not be enough. And you begin to buy the story that's not in the Bible, and it's a story of scarcity. And so I want to talk to you from my heart, okay, this morning for a little while about that. Here, here, here's what I see and what I think and what I experience. I think that we have fears of failure. So what if we, what if we decided we're going to go into community other than our own, like we did at Two Lakes, and we're going to start having church there, you know? I mean, what if, what if we did that? Well, what if we didn't make it? I mean, what if it fails? I mean, we, we think like that. So I'm going to say something that's going to sting, okay? Some of you are not going to have a clue. Northview. A few years ago, this church tried to plant a church. It was called Northview. It didn't end like we all hoped and prayed it would end. It didn't turn out like we thought it would turn out. And I can't give you the reasons why. Here's what I can say to you, though, and this is really important, that we cannot let past disappointments paralyze us from moving into the future that God has called us to. We cannot allow past disappointments paralyze us from moving into the future that God is calling us to. Can't do that. Man, I, I got up the other morning and I got my laptop and I listened to the sermon that David Busick preached here last Sunday morning. That guy was anointed. Man. I mean, he got me fired up. We got the ball. You know what I'm saying? We're on the offense. And there is no defense that can stop us. Not even the gates of hell. Amen? And David said in the last part of his sermon Sunday morning, May God help us not allow... Temporary, I'm sorry, may God help us not allow uh, us to become more afraid of eternal regrets than temporary failures. We just can't be afraid of failing. There, there are eternal issues at stake here. 
I, th- I think another, another thing that we kind of think is, well, I mean, don't we have a lot to do right here? I mean, in our church, in our community, I mean, isn't there a lot? You know what I'm saying? I mean, we're not getting it all done here, right? I, I, I would just say this to you, and that is that the people who are attending Two Lakes on Sunday morning with Thaddeus did not come here, and we have been here for years, but they're going there. It's a safe place where they get love and prayer and food. And when Thaddeus said, what about church on Sunday morning? They said, we'll come. So now the, now the honesty is going to get really uncomfortable, okay? There's a little bit of shame in this conversation. Um... If we go to other communities, then that means that God might call some of you to go. And when I say I like you guys, I mean it. I really like you guys. I like it best when we're all together. I I don't want to lose you. I want you to be here with me. (laughs) I don't want a bunch of you going away. But if there's this greater cause, and if God is calling you, i got to let you go. I told you the honesty is getting worse, so here we go. You know, we got lots going on. We're trying to rehab this Floyd Center over here, and we were hoping it would come in at $1.5 million, and we feel like we have the money to do that. And this last week, we've not gotten good news. The news is it's going to be higher. We need more money. And this stupid roof just decided to give out on us at the most inopportune time. And we've got to pour half a million bucks into this crazy thing. And I don't know that it makes any sense to ask people to walk out the door with their money right now. You know what I'm saying? So there's your blatant honesty. I poured over the budget all last week. I'm sorry, all this week. And it doesn't make any sense. If you believe in scarcity, but if you believe that God is the God of abundance, and if you believe that God is generous, and you believe that He can supply all of our needs according to His riches and glory, you know, And go where God has called you and take your money there. And God will take care of here. So what if we what if we just don't? You know? What if we don't do it? What happens? Does God just kind of throw up his arms and say, They didn't. There's a there's another side, another lesson to be learned, and, and, and that is that the strategy of the early church was not only urgency with sharing the gospel, but the cities were strategic in their plan. So Philip goes to a city in Samaria, and then you've got other people going to city, Antioch. And when you get with Paul, he just goes from city to city to city to city. Sometimes he chooses really big city like Philippi the largest city in the region of Macedonia. If I can reach Philippi, I can reach the region. 
And so cities were strategic. So grab a piece of paper and a pencil and write something down, okay? I know I never ask you to do that, but I'm asking you to do it now. So if you don't mind, just flatter me. If you're not, just act like you are, okay? So I'll think that you're with me on this one, okay? Once you write this down, you've got to know this. I've given you some numbers, but I want you to know these numbers, okay? You don't have to write down a lot. I'll make it really easy what you write, okay? But here's what's going on. It's called urbanization. Urbanization is moving from rural areas to urban centers. It's a result of being in an economy that is no longer agricultural-based, but more industrial and technologically-based. And so people are leaving the rural areas and they're moving to the city. So here's what you write. Write down 1900. That's the year 1900. And after you write 1900, put a comma and then put 2 slash 10. Okay? 1900, comma, 2 slash 10. So here's what that means. In 1900, 2 out of every 10 people, 2 out of every 10 people lived in a city. Okay? I know I've given you these numbers. I want you to have these numbers. I want them to mean something to you because it's important as we understand, what do we do with this now? How do we apply it to today? Then under that, I want you to write 1990. 1990, comma, 4, slash, 10. By 1990, 4 out of every 10 people lived in the city. Under that, write 2014, comma, 5, slash, 10. By 2014 now... Over half of the people live in a city, 5 out of 10. Under that, write this, 2030. 2030, comma, 6 slash 10. By 2030, they're projecting that 6 out of every 10 people live in the city. You understand, that's only about 15, 16 years away. Under that, write 2050. By 2050, comma, slash, 7 slash 10. 7 out of 10 people live in the cities. Now, I'm getting ready to blow your mind. Are you ready for this? I want you to write this down best you can, okay? Every month, every month, 5 million people in the world move from a rural area into an urban center. Every month, 5 million people. Listen to this. You ready for this? That is 200,000 people a day move from a rural area to a city all around the world. And we're not talking about something that's going on in Asia or Africa. It's here. People are moving into our cities by the thousands every day. We don't even begin to have enough churches to take care of those people. We are not prepared for what is coming our way. And in the last 30 years, just our denomination, we have no more churches than we had 30 years ago. If we do that for the next 30 years, how secular will the city look? Do you understand that this train does not have brakes? You're not going to slow it down. We've got to get ready. And so if we don't get ready, what does God do? Does God throw up His hands and say, well, they didn't? No, what God does is He keeps speaking and He keeps calling. And we have a person who works on our staff whose name is Chris Pollock. And Chris, Chris is living his life every day with a call on his heart to plant a church in the heart of this city. 
I'm telling you, when he gets up in the morning, when he goes to bed at night, it's his first and his last thoughts. When I talk to Chris, that's all we talk about. When he talks to the board, that's what he talks about. When he talks to the staff, that's what he talks about. He's living his life every day with a call on his heart to plant a church in the heart of our city. I believe so much in Chris. His love for the Lord, his devotion to him. And I know that in his heart, he knows that he is called to plant a church in the heart of the city. So what if we started looking like the New Testament? And what if some people ran down there and started talking to people about Jesus? And what if a congregation forms? And so when I came here two and a half years ago, I told you that I believe that God brought me here to lead in this way. And so we started praying, you know. One of our board members said, should we pray together every week? Maybe a day we would fast. Maybe what if we didn't eat and prayed instead? Wouldn't that be a great thing? And so we said Wednesdays. And so we've been praying and fasting on Wednesdays that God would give us direction because we don't want to do this by our sheer determination. We want to be led by God. You understand? The difference? And so the board and the staff is praying and fasting on Wednesdays. And now I'm asking you to join us in praying and fasting on Wednesdays. Would you do that? So I'm not telling you how many meals you fast or what you fast. But would you give something up and instead pray? And pray about us becoming that New Testament church. Looking more and more like that New Testament church. And so we've been praying. God... Send, send workers into the field. Send workers into the field. And so I've been praying that. You know, I've just been getting on my knees. I've been praying, God, you're hearing me, I know, but send workers into the field. And I've told Chris, talk about it to everybody you can, and he has. And there's this group of people who get together, and they go to houses, and they pray. And they're praying about planting a church, you know. It's awesome. I go to those prayer meetings. And so the other day, one of our pastors, Mikel Levine, made an appointment with me. I need to talk to you. Okay, what about two? That sounds good. So she came in. She sits down and she starts to cry. And she starts to shake. And she says, God has called Brent and I to help Chris and Holly go plant this church. My God, I wanted you to send workers. I didn't want you to send Mikel, okay? <laughs> and as I began to work through that, I realized, God, you're answering our prayers. I mean, we've been praying. I mean, we've been not eating lunch and breakfast and praying, you know, that you would send workers and look what you're doing. And there's people who are saying to Chris, I believe God's speaking to me. And so it's not just we're going to send them off and see all, hope you make it. I didn't do that with my kid when she got grown. I mean, she got married and she left the house, but we're still in great relationship with each other. I still invest in her life. I even throw a little money at her once in a while because I love her so much. So this is not them, this is us. 
And so what, what, what do I want you to do? I want you to pray with me. I want you to begin praying. And if you're okay praying on Wednesdays, if you make that a day, and if you could fast with us on Wednesdays and pray, that, that'd be awesome. Would you do that? And, and God may lead some of you to give something. And so it's not just about what happens in the heart of the city, but it's, it's two lakes. I want you to pray for Thaddeus on Wednesdays. And I want you to pray for that ministry there. We're thinking, we're praying, we're planning. We want the Spirit to lead us. And so God, God is going gonna, is gonna to work through you as you pray. So on Wednesdays, would you fast and pray for whatever God's going to do in town and whatever God's going to do in two lakes? Would you join us in that? And whatever God's going to do wherever else, maybe in your community, where you live. Would you, would you do a couple of other things? Would you, would you just think about this? Maybe God would have you give. Maybe it's time and energy. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's something, resource that you have that you might end up giving. God may lead you to give. And you know what else God may do? God may call some of you to go. And you're going to go with my blessings when He calls you. If He doesn't call you, don't go. Please don't go. I said to Thaddeus the other day, you want some maybe families who would go there? He goes, if God calls them, but if God doesn't call them, I don't want them. You know. Kyle, why don't you come? I'm way over time this morning. And, uh, and let's sing. And I think you're hearing me say that I want you to pray with me, okay? What, what if you drove your car into Two Lakes and you parked it and you prayed from there? Because you may be saying, I don't even know what you're talking about when you say two lakes. So what if you just drove your car over there and you parked it and you prayed from there? Or what if you went downtown intentionally and ate a restaurant there because you want to see what, what, is, it that, what is it that God is calling Chris to? It's not them, it's us. We're the church. Together. So you want to stand with me? I want us to to pray before we go. And the song is a prayer. So when you sing, you're praying. Uh, I, I would love it if we could just have like lots of us just kind of around the altars together. I would love that. I think that would be wonderful. And so if you feel any sense of freedom of coming down here and kneeling and praying with us, I'd... That would mean a lot for me today for you to do that. So let's, let's pray together, okay? And the song is a prayer. We'll sing and we'll pray. So let's ask God for His leadership in this.
back somebody says to me um, almost in disgust that they had heard Life Church was open in another campus it was almost like how many churches do they need you know, my response is we all need a lot more churches we all need to feel urgency with the gospel and go into communities and spaces that are in desperate need of the gospel and share Jesus and watch churches spring up So, Father, I pray that you will give us that sense of urgency. I pray for my brother Thaddeus, Lord. What you have done there, we could not do. What you are doing there today, Lord, we cannot accomplish on our own. I pray for my brother Chris, Lord. You have prepared his heart called him, Lord. I pray that you will use us, Jesus. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, you can leave quietly. If you want to hang around and pray, feel free. Kyle will worship with us for a minute, okay? You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.